listening to the Wellington Hustle Interview Project, showcasing Wellington's entrepreneurs, sharing their experiences to inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Thank you for joining me. I'm Tim Morrison. Sorry, sorry, sorry for not getting an interview out last month and for how late I'm releasing this episode. Please insert any number of excuses here. All I can say is that I may have suffered a little bit of shiny object syndrome and sort of gone a bit off target, but I'm back now anyway, so let's keep on moving. It's September 2020, and in this episode of the Wellington Hustle Interview Project, I get to speak with Joel Buzade. Joel is a facilitator of growth and a student of hard conversations. He helps people see their possibility, remove their limiting beliefs and guides them to become empowering, confident leaders. Joel started his career as an international operations manager for Full On in Italy. Next, he co-founded a health facility with his brother. And now Joel is a keynote speaker and coaches coach development and leadership for large organizations. Now sit back and listen to this interview with Joel Buzade. Joel Buzade, is that right? Is that how I pronounce your last name? Joel Buzade, that's the one. Thank you very much for um, taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me for the Wellington Hustle Interview Project. Oh, it's great to be here, thanks. I guess we'll jump straight in. So if you just give us a little rundown of who you are. Right on. So the two main things for me is I started out and spent 10 years as an operations manager, which was really just me. Uh, you know, that was a learning ground for me like really starting to understand what is it that uh, teams need, what is it that I need to be for myself and for others in order to achieve a particular outcome that the business wants. And I learned, learned a lot doing that. Worked over in Italy, oh, cool. so off and on for 10 years over there. And I'd go over there with a team of 25 every year. We'd recruit for a couple of months and we'd go over there for three to four months and run these uh, personal leadership programs over there was incredibly rewarding and, and a really steep learning curve for me who had come, you know, out of school into the outdoors and then basically it was really like my first proper job, if yeah. you like. Was it, um, what was the, like the industry or was it? A sort of uh, tourism industry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you were recruiting for the tourism industry? Yeah. 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 And so we centered our personal leadership around an abseil experience. So naturally when people do anything that's scary, um, they start to demonstrate what we all have as, as, as nerves and fear yeah. and overwhelm, which is a beautiful uh, environment to create for someone internally so that they can then start to explore how they deal with that, how they manage that, how they can lead that and ultimately grow. So it was really re rewarding in terms of what we did for the clients, but also for me in terms of learning how to how to lead people. And then after that was um, eight years of small business and my brother and I, um, we sort of asked ourselves, man, what could we do for the world? You know, <laughs> I was like, man, wouldn't it be great to, um, wouldn't it be great to like help people with their health? You know, because it seems like a lot of people, including ourselves, struggle with that from time to time. And so we started a gym, a health facility, and uh, and my background sort of started to become like communication, leadership, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And we just thought, wouldn't it be great to combine those two things? You know, mm -hmm. and we're brothers, and we hadn't spent a lot of time professionally together ever. So it was like, let's let's give that a go. So those two experiences um, gave me a lot of fast-tracked, a lot of my own personal awareness and opened up a lot of blind spots for me in, in terms of how I lead. What is, like, what does operations look like? I think, what, yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so operations, from my perspective yeah. anyway, is there's no start and finish to the role. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do everything from finance to human resources to 
op- whatever operations is, which is normally like what the the customers might see, mm. um, and all the admin. And you know, you know, I had four managers with me on site that would look after some of those functions, but ultimately the buck stopped with me. Joel's the quote unquote boss, the leader, and uh, yeah just make the operation incredibly rewarding for the client so that they rave about it and come back. And, and it was a unique skill set that we're looking, we were looking for people that not only could work in the outdoors, abseiling and abseil people, but people that were extraordinary communicators as, uh, as well. Uh, ultimately, it's one thing to be technically sound, but when you can combine that with the, the communication skills, I think that's where you can really create some magic. Yeah, you're seeing what they're like under pressure, and you're training them not just in in how to abseil people and the skill set around that, but also in how to um, break boards, which you can see over there, and uh, walk on glass, break arrows, you know, with their throat. You know, all of these activities give people these this cadence around experiencing fear. And then it's like trying to facilitate that into something that's tangible so that when the client goes away, they can reproduce that performance outside of that day. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's really what it means, I think, to help people is give them something, awareness, understanding that they can then take into their lives as parents, as managers themselves, as everyday people just trying to have a good life and be like, oh, I've been in a place like this before. I know what to do. Breaking down um, limiting beliefs about, yeah. and we've got, we've all got so many of those, you know. So some of the greatest work that I've been able to do is to be a part of, of, of helping people to move past those yeah. without actually directly talking about them. People truly don't know what they're capable of until it's demanded of them. And mm. so the question that we asked ourselves is how do you create an environment where it is supporting and nurturing, yet at the very same time, it challenges people to want to show up and come back. And I think if you can get those two things, I'll use the word right, but in a nice balance, um, people grow, you know, and that's a beautiful thing to be a part of, I reckon. And so um, after you finished up uh, helping out your brother, Mm. what was your vision when you first started this venture? Yeah, well, it's been a a real overlapping Mm. experience, like, you know, nothing in life is linear and even when I was working in Italy, you know, formulating the ideas around the health facility were already occurring. Um, and I've been, you know, in that communication space, speaking and training for, for 15 years now. And so and the vision's always been really, really clear for me. Um, and that is whatever the mode that I'm engaging in, whether it's at the front of the room, um, leading a class from a health perspective or at a conference on stage or working with a leader one-on-one, online or in person, it's always for me is how do I create a sense of possibility for this person? How do we remove those limitations that we so frequently place upon ourselves and more importantly, our thinking? Mm. Um, So that's always been the vision and it's vague, but I think uh, vague is good when you're talking vision as long as it's exciting, you know? Yeah, and leading in the direction you want to go. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it that you so from the Joel Bouzade side, what does that look like? The you know, like you were on a coaching call today before I walked yeah. up and you do public speaking, keynote, keynote speaking. speaking. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it that Yeah, most of my work now, Tim, is uh, so I teach leadership. That's kind of like the punchline of my work. Yeah. And and what I've 
found through time is that the most important work that leaders can do before they start leading their teams is to is to lead themselves, is to work hard on themselves, um, which some people are into and some people are not. They just want to know how do I build trust in, in my team members? How do I enable higher performance in my team members? And so when you deal with a mix of different uh, perspectives around leadership, what becomes really evident, or has for me anyway, is understanding that environment becomes so, so key. So what I do is I go into an organization or a business and I help the small teams that make it up distill their culture. And that's just another way of saying, clarify how we choose to roll, perform, go forth, conquer, execute, high perform, etc. And once you have a team, whether that's nine people or 25 people, that are crystal clear about who we are, like an, a sense of identity, then I think you have an actual shot at people fully expressing their leadership. And until then, we operate in this walking on eggshell world where I'll do my best to lead, um, but if I can't trust that my colleagues or my team members are gonna have my back regardless, then there'll always be something that I'm holding back from. And for me, trying to create possibility, I really want people to show up and give their give everything. And then I think when they do that, they, they go home at the end of the week or as they're heading into work on a Monday morning, they're actually anticipating being at work with a sense of positivity because where they're going is psychologically safe where they're going, they're accepted and included, and where they're going, it's encouraged for them to lead fully. Yeah. Yeah. And so how are you, we say like the, I guess for example, this morning your coaching call, mm. um, I guess that's one-on-one, so yes. how are you helping the similar sort of thing, I imagine? But. Yeah, yeah, the, the one-on-one work is very uh, limited now, just mm. in terms of, you know, the, the impact that I, that I wanna have. Um, I love working one-on-one, because you can get traction quickly, mm. Um, but most of my work historically has been in training small teams and then, you know, love jumping on stage in front of hundreds, of course. <laughs> always love that. But working one-on-one with people, the, the main thing is, is like, what is it that's preventing you from being able to lead fully, to express yourself um, and your philosophy through the work that you do? And so often it's people-related mm. And it's, it's conversations that are hard to have, difficult conversations. And so it's about soundboarding and, and, and coming up with ways in which they can approach those conversations and those people um, to ultimately gain um, clarity, but create some possibility for themselves. So I guess working with a bigger scale, those one-on-one sessions becomes a premium product almost. It does, it does. And, and, and naturally the, 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 the bigger, for lack of a better term, that someone becomes, then they just don't have the capacity to do that one-on-one work. But the great thing about the one-on-one stuff is you get to test out IP, ideas, ask questions, and then arrive at those maybe, let's just say, larger scale events like team workshops or organizational culture and have a really intimate understanding of what drives ambitious team leaders to make a difference because you've tested it, you've road tested it, and that's really, really helpful. So 
It's all good stuff. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, actually. I never really thought about that. You sort of get to uh, your guinea pigs. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. All this, get all your theories out before you, you sort of do it in, the, in a big scale. Yeah, well, I think that's that's one of the great things about coaching and, and for the coachee as well is, you know, quite quickly, I like to establish that, you know, what can we achieve together? This isn't a high-performance conversation. It's a... It's, a, it's an engaging conversation and we're trying to work together to figure out what's your next step, two or three steps forward so that you can achieve what you want to achieve. Um, and that's a, a vulnerable, open, honest and candid conversation. Um, and, and I'll be really upfront about you know, this idea that I'm working on. How does it fit and work for you? And sometimes it's absolute gold and other times it's you know, completely disregarded. That's yeah. fine. Have you got any like a, a setback or something that you've had to deal with? I think, you know, working with my brother was immensely rewarding and it also has its natural challenges, you know, your your family first and foremost. And to be able to park that, switch on professionally, do what is required professionally, feedback, holding each other to account, trust, et cetera, et cetera, and then switch back, family barbecue, you know, all of that that definitely had its challenges. And I think it wasn't a setback, it was actually an, a, a rewarding growth opportunity for me. But I think at times, and I, and I know there'll be people out there that work in teams, that sometimes it can feel like you can't move as fast as you want to because you're trying to serve two different hats, the family hat and the professional, what do our clients need and who do we need to be in order to achieve that. So in terms of dealing with that, it was just like ongoing, like, a lot of consistent communication and difficult conversations, yep. which I think now you look back and go, great, because I feel a bit more experienced to have those conversations with anyone now, um, those harder conversations. But at the time, that was certainly something that was, was challenging, challenging for both of us, I reckon. Especially, it must be even harder with it being family, was it? Or... A- absolutely, and, and we have a, a deep deep respect for each other and so we were never going to let anything professional get in the way of that and so I think you know it's fair to say that we preserve that really really well but it takes a lot of energy to do that Mm. and and you know as well as I do that you know energy and time well they're two of the great resources (laughs) in life aren't they you know (laughs) Um, and and we all have got our own version of I don't have enough time Um, and when energy starts to become low as well it can make for a challenging lifestyle it can make for a challenging sense of fulfillment and purpose and so you've got to protect those things you've got to protect them well and I think for both of us it's been a good move for me to to move on and put my foot down fully with regard to teaching leadership outside of the health and fitness context yeah and so did you struggle with energy over that period then as well i think the real thing for me tim was i've always been someone that has had the feedback i've had is like i have good energy And so when it starts to decelerate or it's not what i expect it to be it would get me down so I have a few rituals and routines, uh, habits, if you like, that I, that I do most days in order to maintain a high level of energy because like most fathers out there, I want to make sure that the time that I do have with my kids when they get home or when I get home traveling for work that I've still got a similar, if not greater energy than I do when I walk into the, to the, to the room in the workshop in the morning. I think that's only fair and I think... The measure of a great father, like a great leader, is that we can give 
um, our energy to the people that need it. It is, and and I think th- this is part of my challenge when I go into say you know with the pro bono work and going into schools and we just don't learn this unless we seek it out. Is that often the approach is I don't. It's like I. I I don't have any energy left. <laughs> I'm tired. That's that's the discussion around energy is I'm tired. That's the most commonly used phrase. I would love to, you know, get people to start to think more about what are you doing to generate energy, to to add more energy into your life so that when you get tired, it actually is at eight o'clock at night and you go to bed early <laughs> as opposed to at three o'clock and then we fall apart for the evening shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's three o'clock p.m., right? Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not three o'clock in the morning. It is. I think another another setback for me, like if I'm like in my early, when I first started uh, as an operations manager, I really, really rated myself in terms of delivering for the client. Like I just, I just think that if you deliver a great service to your client, you're gonna get great feedback, your team feels good about that. It's a reflection of your leadership. Ultimately, the key stakeholders are, are happy. And so I, I, I poured all of my eggs into that basket. And I remember in 2010, my boss coming over to my site and observing for the day. And at, later that evening, he said, should we do some feedback, Joel? We have real open culture around feedback. And I was expecting him to say, Joel, you know, top job, fantastic. <laughs> I really like the way you did this. I really like the way you did this. Maybe just, you know, have a little bit of a think about that. Yeah, cool, awesome, that'll be fantastic. He blew me up. He gave it to me straight. And there was some, some language there that I won't repeat <laughs> on the podcast. And it shocked me. It shocked me the way that you get shocked in a, in a scary situation. And it defined me in that moment because I actually felt like throwing the towel in because you know, I'm pouring all my eggs into this basket of like high performance. I think we're doing a great job. And then he demonstrated to me, actually, you're not only doing a poor job, you're doing a crap job in these areas and it's not good enough. Like many of those difficult conversations that many of us have had, they end up in the long run if we process them well, serving us well for the future, not to press harder necessarily, but to ask good questions about how we're doing and how we can 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 do better. So that was instrumental, you know, ten years ago now, having having that hard, hard moment. <laughs> it was a setback and I did feel like giving up in the, in that moment actually. I was like, actually I'm giving everything. I've got no energy. If this isn't right then why should I bother? Was there a time that you wanted to give up other than that one? <laughs> and how did you get past that? Yeah, I I think moments like that have just reminded me how resilient human beings are. And like, you know, I was in Christchurch during the earthquakes and I, um, like everyone, I've had my heart, you know, whatever that is. And I just have a deep belief that no matter how hard it gets, and look, I'll be proven wrong, I'm sure, that human beings have an amazing capacity to respond and to deal with deep adversity. And look, we're experiencing that right now on the other side or halfway through a pandemic. Um, so yeah, I've, I've had some setbacks and, and I won't, you know, that one I think was a good one, you know, that feedback that I had. But there was a time in Italy where I, I was out on the edge of our abseil site and I hadn't clipped into a safety line and I leaned, leaned over the edge of what was about a 35 meter tower, you know, threw down the rope, which was part of the setup process. And then someone called out and said, Joel, you're not clipped into safety. And in that moment, um, you know, psychologically for me, I realized that how close I was to, to the end. What it came down to was as the operations manager on that site, I shouldn't have been up there setting up. 
And the reason why I was up there setting up is because I was trying to do everything, which is often what operations managers have to do. <laughs> and so again, it gave me another uh, reference point to the idea that you've got to have good people, the right people on the bus doing the right thing so that we can all do our piece and contribute to the bigger picture. So good learnings that came out of that one as well. Were there any traps that you've fallen into? I think the main one is is like because human beings, including myself, we we consistently are worried about whether we're enough or whether people accept us or whether we feel like we belong, which is very natural and normal. The, the common traps for me had been historically trying to please everybody and, and trying to be likable and be everything to everybody. And I, I think that's a trap. I think that's a trap as a leader, like you wanna do a good job. And, and part of that is about getting on with people and building trust with people, et cetera. But the reality is, is that you can't be everything to everybody. And at some point you're gonna frustrate people because you're not doing it as they see it. And that's where you, you grow and develop as a leader and you start to develop principles that serve you really, really well in, in lots of different situations, I think. Have you had an example, you've had that yeah, I, I think when I first started out in Italy, like I wanted to be that operations manager where everyone wanted to come to my site, that they were inspired by my ability to communicate, present well, lead a site. I wanted our sales to be the best ever. And so I'd just, you know, I'd, I'd do whatever it takes to achieve those particular targets. But what happens is that poor old Joel or poor old Joel's family or poor old Joel's energy takes third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh place, and that's not sustainable long-term. And then you get to the end of 10 years of going to and from Italy, and you go, who am I as a leader? What is my leadership philosophy? Oh, is it all built around pleasing other people or meeting targets, or do I have a deep sense of how I roll and what works for me and my strengths? So yeah, I think just generically that, that whole experience taught me a lot about putting myself first. What changes did you make to put yourself there? Mm. Well, I think 26 hours on a plane to Italy 10 times, like I never, ever, ever watched more than one movie. And what I did do, and this is something that I still teach to this day, is getting so, so clear about your vision. And you and I were talking about vision before in terms of business and what we're trying to achieve and, and whatnot. But I would literally write out how I wanted every aspect of the business and the operation to unfold so that at an unconscious level when someone asked me a question like, hey Joel, what are your expectations here or what are we aiming for there, that every essence of how I'm communicating the message was deep conviction. That, that's, that's what we want, that's, that, that, that's my vision. And it doesn't mean that that's the only way, it just means that I have clarity and I think often what happens in, in leadership is that we don't know what we want. Often what happens in life as individuals, we don't know what we want. Yep. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah, here. <laughs> and, and, and I can only say that because I can vouch for that too. And so a big part of my personal work and me working on myself and showing up as valuable for organizations is getting clear about what it is that I want and how I want to live and how I want to help people. What inspires and motivates you? I think if I could choose a moment, it's that moment where people are having insights, where something pops or lands for them, where almost like a Tetris game, like something distills and like there's a level unfolds. So I just call that people having personal insights. And you know when it happens because someone in the room, when you're in a training format, might say, hang on. And, they, and they have, there's this recalibration of their thinking 
their language shifts, something that they've just realized. So that's that's huge for me, has been a part of that process and enabling that and creating a space where that can happen. So that motivates me in terms of why do I do, like you, all of that, those hours and hours and hours trying to get the slide right or the the, the spiel right or the you know the diagnostic tool right because I want to create that moment for people because when people grow they engage and what's the thing that we're measuring around the world more than anything is engagement what's the thing that's been challenged more than anything right now is our engagement not just in workplace but at home like how hard is it to engage your kids sometimes oh, really yeah. hard or your spouse or your friends like people have got their cell phones everywhere so we're fighting engagement and, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you can bring insight into the conversation. Can you describe a breakthrough that you're particularly proud of? I remember about four years ago, I ran a pilot program for a large organization in New Zealand. And at the end of that pilot, um, there was about 12 people in the room, all you know, VIP people within the organization, and they were trying to make a decision as to whether or not I would be a part of their national training for the whole organization. I sort of, <laughs> I, I thought it went great. I yeah. thought it went really good. And we got to the end of the day and they were speechless as in they, they, they couldn't see how it was gonna be of any value whatsoever to their, to their people. And it was super awkward. It was very, very, again, shocking for me. And I walked away from that experience going, oh dear, that's, that's gonna be really, really hard. And so it took me a few days to, to work through that. Um, but I believe that just in a short space of four years ago, that trying to reinterpret that experience and make it positive has taught me that I can shift my perspective on almost anything. As it happened, they said, look, we did like these things. Uh, we didn't particularly like them. And I shifted it, I changed it, ended up running it nationally. And then, you know, since then have been running the national program. And it's the highest rating that they've ever received from an external trainer, which reinforces to me that, you know, we don't always see things as they are, but rather as we are. I think that's important to keep in mind when you're working with people that are, say, on the coalface versus people that sit in boardrooms and, and make decisions. And I'm not saying that that isn't valuable perspective to have, but yeah, certainly one thing that I realized is that I can do some amazing work when I'm given the opportunity to do it with people. Um, and I need to continue to back myself to do that and remind myself that, that the work that I am doing really makes a difference. So yeah, a breakthrough moment and also a reinforcement of what I've been probably working on my whole life as well. Let's move on to your biggest lesson. What do you see as being your biggest lesson over, the, over your time? I think my biggest lesson has been the inherent value of giving and receiving feedback. It becomes the punchline in so many areas of life. There's so many ways to do it, but the, the benefit of doing it with, Kate, with you know, consistency ends up saying to the people, whether it's you know, your team, whether it's your peers, colleagues, whatever, it says to them, I really care about us. I really care about your growth and development. I really care about where we're heading. And um, it is without doubt what most people want to avoid is having difficult conversations. And you know, I, I didn't particularly show up into this world going, I love having hard conversations. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I also would like to conserve my energy for other things. <laughs> 
But, you know, if you're, if you're interested in growing people, one of the things that I've learned is you need to get good at having difficult conversations where people, two people can walk away and go, I understand why we had to have that conversation and, and I, I appreciate you standing for my personal growth. So my biggest lesson has been getting better at and continuing to get better at having conversations that matter. Yeah, and I guess that was pretty important for your breakthrough with the receiving the feedback and stuff as well. Huge, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my, all of my growth has been around hard feedback and I just, I take my hat off to all those people that, that have been willing to disagree with me at such a vulnerable level yeah because because without that we don't grow and i think you know one of the keys to having a really fulfilling life if i could just assert this not that anyone really cares what i think um is that we are growing and and i think when you look back at the end of the week or the month or the year or the decade or the whatever it is the century and you go, I've been growing. I think there's something really fulfilling about that, yes. whether you're looking at it as a dad or you're looking at it as a, as a manager or whatever, whoever you are, whatever your identity is, I think that is, that's part of the secret recipe. Keep yeah, growing. And, and the cool thing is you don't have to, like th that's the thing, right? Is like, you don't have to know exactly where you're going. I do think it's important to, to have a vision where you, where you, where you can develop some, some clarity around that, but I think, just to know that you are growing and you're doing your best and you're stretching yourself, there's something really rewarding about that internally. If you look back on the last 10 years or 10 weeks or 10 days and you go, you know, I haven't really been scared, haven't really been challenged, haven't really been outside my comfort zone at all, what we tend to do as human beings is we tend to find those significant emotions that we would normally find in dealing with that in other areas like being passive, lazy um <laughs> finding significance and like um you know with alcohol or overeating or gossiping or some of those natural human tendencies that we we can easily access mm. and, and that's the trap i think that's that's the ultimate trap is that we stop stretching ourselves we lose self-belief that we can't achieve great things we we can't push ourselves anymore. And so for significance, we look to, unfortunately, either harming ourselves or we, we, we harm other people. And it's, it's terrible. And we, you, know, you just look around the world at the moment and you see that stuff. And you know, number one book keynote in 2019 was kindness and leadership, right? And so mm. what does that say about the awesome leadership and organizations at the moment is that we want experts to come in and talk to us and enable us to be kind. You know, what a, what a great world to stand for where yeah, right. people are kind, you know, yeah. I, I really believe in that. Historically, if you look back through time, like we've done a terrible job in many areas, you know, yeah. we've, you could say we've done amazing, but through a different lens, you could say, I mean, look at divorce rates, you know, mm. you know, I mean, look at, you go out to a restaurant and you see a family there and you go, look at the engagement, you know, like human nature is low energy, conserve it for something else and do the bare minimum. And uh, I think we've got a real fight on our hands, first and foremost with ourselves for the rest of our lives, but then again with our teams and our families to go, what does it look like to step into kindness? Because that takes energy mm. and it takes, it takes intention and it takes vision as well. And it's something that I'm certainly passionate about. Your vision, has it always been so clear and how has it evolved over mm. time? Getting clear about my purpose eight years ago was a, was a defining moment for me. Like, you know, what am I doing here? 
you know, I used uh, several different resources to help me do that. For me, it's that clear and simple now that my job is to create possibility. And so from that, it's easy to go, okay, if I'm over here, what does that look like? If I'm over here, what does that look like? So it hasn't changed a, a heck of a lot, Tim, but obviously with each different environment, person, organization, and client that I go into, it'll have its subtle differences. One of the things that I noticed in working with, you know, a lot of baby boomers, and you know, I'm, I'm 36, and so a lot of my work has been with people older than me. One of the things that I've realized is that as people get older, they start to become less selfish and more selfless. And it always was interesting to me looking then uh, down in age at some of, you know, the 20 and 30 year olds that are coming up, how self-interested we are. And I was like, why can't we flick that switch earlier? Why can't we become selfless more early on? And I, and I, I, I think I figured it out, at least for myself anyway, it's because we haven't grown and developed into the kind of people that we're proud of yet. And so we stay self-interested for a long period of life. Once we go, oh yeah, I am who I am. Yeah. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> then we start going, actually, I want my life to be about something more than myself. And we start shifting our focus to other people and other causes and so on and so forth. So what would you do differently if you had to start again? Great question. We used to have the saying when I was playing rugby that, you know, when the other team scored a try, which, you know, conceptually that's like adversity, kind of, you know, you you don't feel very good when the other team scores a try. Yeah. Um, we used to have this saying, nil all, which means like the scoreboard's not actually 5-0 to them, it's a nil all. It's like that 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 reset. So I, I feel like I'm always starting again. Like whenever I, like, you know, next week when I go and work with a team up north, like they don't know Joel, you know. I've got to prove everything that I can be useful to them in those first, before we even start, you know. So it, I'm, I'm consistently restarting as a dad i'm restarting it's like you're no better than than your next performance right you know looking back if i could do something differently i think i would get more coaching so i got coaching early on real early on before anyone you know even coaching now is like a lot of people still don't get it here in new zealand like that it's a good idea to sit down and share and then work out how you can do things better. It's just not that common. But I would have got more coaching earlier. That would be really, really useful. It's like, there's people out there that have walked the journey that you're trying to walk. Some of them have written books, some of them haven't. But like, go and talk to them. Go and ask them questions. I think that you can speed things up and therefore achieve more faster. In the back of our minds, like, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough energy. It's constantly going on for us. So what if you could behave in a way that, that meant that you've got time? How might that change your entire life? So I think get, you know, talking to the right people sooner. In terms of self-leadership and you know, a big, something that I'm passionate about is in order to lead well, first lead thyself. And um, there's a gentleman named uh, Jersey Gregorick who in Tim Ferriss's keynote TED Talk, he talks about this idea that hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. Mm. And I think self-leadership is starting to go, what are the hard choices that I need to make for myself, for my family, for my team, that will give me, I mean, when people aren't necessarily seeking an easy life, maybe a better phrase there is meaningful life or fulfilling mm. life. But I think we all have to cross that line or that abyss of going, choosing the hard is really healthy. And it's taxing. So invest into your energy, get up early, look after yourself, be kind, and live a life that really is, um, it, 
it regenerates you instead of um, sort of being at the end of your tether, um, stressed out, overwhelmed, anxious, and worried. And so what's the real key is nature, right? It's like get out there. It teaches us so much. I, I spent four years studying outdoor education and seven years on rivers, basically. And you learn so much in the outdoors that no one can teach you, not one book. It is without doubt my re renewal place. Like, you know, some people like they go to Bali and do a, a this or a silent retreat over there, or they might go and listen to a Deepak Chopra series. Like for me, go climb a mountain, Joel. Yeah. That, that is rejuvenation and, and it's perspective. There's just something about choosing the hard in nature that says keep doing that in your, in your everyday life back in the urban environment as well that's, that's really rewarding. Well, I think that probably brings us, that's a good place to bring in everything to an end, so. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much, Joel, for taking, oh, I almost forget this, this is the important bit. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, I don't know what it is. <laughs> For people that want to uh, get in contact with you or, um, you know, yes. learn a bit more about you or start a conversation or whatever, where yeah. can they find you? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a, I'm a big fan of staying off the email these days, even though that's probably never gonna fully happen. But you know, I'm, I'm pretty committed to my social presence in terms of being uh, consistent in that area. And most people now have a Facebook profile or LinkedIn profile. So just send me a message, yeah. you know, and we can figure it out all yeah. out from there. Um, have a bit of a chat or, or whatever it is that you're looking for. So. Oh, and what about your website? What's your uh, Yeah, so that's just my name, J-O-E-L-B-O-U-Z-A-I-D.com. Hey Joel, thanks again for sharing your story with the Wellington Hustle community. My takeaway from your interview was for the importance of not shying away from moments in life that seem to be hard. And if it seems difficult, persevere, get uncomfortable and eat that frog. This is where the growth happens and this is where we find our fulfillment. For you, the listener, what have you got to take away from Joel's interview? Please share in the comments for Joel's posts on the Wellington Hustle website. I'm very interested to hear on what your takeaway was. I'll be adding links here also for the resources mentioned in the interview. You'll also find Joel's contact details if you want to reach out and continue the conversation. Just head over to the website wellingtonhustle.co and you'll find Joel there. If you're enjoying these interviews, then please spread the word, share with your friends or leave a five-star review on the Apple podcast. This really helps for the Wellington Hustle interview project to be found by others. Until next week, uh, take care and speak soon. Bye-bye. If you're interested in being interviewed for the project or you have somebody in mind that would be a great fit, then please, please, please send me an email on tim at timson.co or head to the Timson Co. website, click on the Wellington Hustle link from the menu and choose Join Wellington Hustle from the drop down. Thanks so much again for listening and until next time, keep on hustling.